Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Andrew. And I'm Rachel. And we are Picture Scene Podcast. We are a true crime podcast aiming to put you, the listener, at the scene of the crime. We bring you a new episode on a weekly basis, mainly focusing on lesser known crimes from the UK and Ireland. However, at times, we expand into cases from anywhere in the world and or ones that are well known. Because we are a true crime podcast, listener caution is always advised, and today there is no exception. If you like what you hear, Please do follow us on whatever social media platform you prefer. Subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform of choice. And if you have the capability, give us a rating and review as well. We always say it, but it does mean the world to us, doesn't it, Rachel? Yeah, absolutely. And I was just about to say, you sounded uh, a bit deflated when you were saying, give us a rating and review as well. So uh, I'm here to put a bit of enthusiasm into that and say, yes, we <laughs> absolutely love your ratings and your reviews. So please continue to rate and review us. We do. Sorry, everyone. It's it's early on a Friday morning and I need to wake up a little bit, but I'll I'll get more enthusiastic as we go. Maybe I need a cup of tea, Rachel, but if you want to support us, you can do so for less than the price of a cup of tea that you may be having or coffee on Patreon. With our lowest tier starting at £1 per month, we release bonus content every month and a link to our social medias and Patreon can be found in the show notes or to visit patreon.com forward slash scenepod. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash s-e-e-n-e-p-o-d. Or you can just Google, oh, I guess, GPT now, Patreon and Picture the Scene podcast. Yeah. See what you did there with the cup of tea. Clever. Yes. We do. We do where possible. Now we release episodes a week early for our Patreon supporters. So you can always say a week ahead of us, if you so wish. How are you, H? Yeah, I'm full of hay fever. Um, Like, bring on summer. <laughs> We've had glorious weather, haven't we, in the UK and Ireland. And I've just been smacked in the face with hay fever. Whoop, whoop. But yeah, despite that, all good. How are you? I'm good. Actually, I'm just thinking I shouldn't be tired. Like, the dog woke me up at five o'clock this morning. Oh, jet. So... I should be wide awake, but not. But anyway, um, yeah, I'm grand, Rachel. I'm grand. I'm sparkling. Good. Now the question that is on everybody's lips around the world is: Are you ready for some true crime? I was born ready, Andrew. Let's get this going. Woo! Let's get a cracker like in them. So, if it's safe for you to do so, I'd like you to relax, close your eyes, and picture the scene. Today I'm taking you back to the 25th of March, 2022, and we're in Wakefield today. Wakefield is a cathedral city in West Yorkshire, which has a population of around 109,000 people within it. And an interesting fact about it, Rachel, especially for all listening outside of the UK, once upon a time, a place could get city status if you had a cathedral within it. Now that no longer applies, but Wakefield was one of the last places in the UK to get that status back in 1888. I strangely knew that fact because I lived in a town which couldn't be called a city because it didn't have a cathedral, even though it was the capital like of where I of, of the place I lived and uh, it was the biggest town where 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 I lived, it could not be called a city. It has since been granted city status. Fabulous, well done. But uh, yeah, I I interestingly knew that fact. That's good, and it's also sorry. 
no it's fine that's yeah I like that you are um rewarding me for that thank you and it's been a while since I've mentioned it but Wakefield was also mentioned in the Doomsday book <gasps> but you know Rachel not everyone's here for history lesson so let's get back to the 25th of March last year shall we let's go yeah it was mid-afternoon and the temperature was around 11 degrees Celsius, which is around 52 degrees Fahrenheit, with a gentle 6 mile an hour wind. But for Tony Brooks, the weather wouldn't really matter at all. And possibly, it would never really matter ever again. Oh dear. It wasn't the fact, Rachel, that Tony, who was 36 at the time, was a victim of crime, but rather the opposite. He was suspected of being a perpetrator of crime. He had earlier in the afternoon been arrested on a suspicion of burglary, so he was currently sat in an interview room in Wakefield Police Station being spoken to by two police officers. Now, while obviously old crime is not good, burglary is not quite on the same level as murder or sexually motivated crime. Wouldn't you agree, Rachel? I would, yep. I, I firmly agree with that. So the two police officers who were interviewing him they were not expecting fireworks. It was just another day and then just another arrest for them. Wow. <laughs> I don't know why was that funny? Um, just like, just just another day in Wakefield. Yes. Arre- just another arrest. Petty okay. crime. So while they were speaking to him, he said to them that he wanted to speak to them about a totally unrelated crime. Now, obviously, oh. like... Yeah, exactly. Now, obviously, like all diligent police officers, they were not going to turn down the chance of finding out about another crime. And you'd be surprised. I reckon I re- I mean it I, I'm not giving Wakefield law enforcement any um good comments here, but I'm I'm just saying in general, there'd be some smaller kind of town police forces that'd be like, oh, no, thank you. We really can't be bothered with the paperwork. So you get on with your day. I've caught you for this crime. I've given you a warning. Goodbye. Possibly, yeah. Although I have wrote here that it's not even that unusual, Rachel, for someone to start talking about another crime. Because often if someone's been arrested for something that isn't massively serious, they'll often admit to other crimes they've committed of a similar nature. Because they all tend to be considered as one, so it wouldn't increase, or if it did, not much at all. The, oh, sentence, wow. the sentence that someone received. I never thought that, actually. It's interesting. Yeah, so they do, actually. They don't have them hanging over their head, but it's also... The police actually quite like it because it boosts their solved rate as well for crimes, so it looks good on their there stats. Go. I think, um, what do people call that? My memory's gone. Um, two for the price of one. Yes, two for. When they were receptive to what Tony had to say, he began to speak. He would tell them that he knew about a woman called Kirsty that had been murdered, and as of yet, no one knew about the crime. He went on to say that she had an ex-boyfriend called Jake or Jack or something similar who had a restraining order against him called Kirsty, and that he had been the one who had killed her. So did he, he'd, he couldn't remember the name of the boyfriend or? He didn't know the name of the boyfriend. He knew it was something like Jake or Jack or something oh, like right. that. Okay. So Tony would go on to say <laughs> that he didn't actually know Kirsty and he never met her. He just said his drug dealer told him that she had been killed and that her undiscovered body was still at her home in Free Stanhope Mews in Leeds. This feels a little bit like confusing because he's admitting that 
he's got a drug dealer and therefore a drug habit and therefore like he's opened himself wide up there isn't he well he was a drug addict and um that's he was like that's why oh was that well known yeah well that's why he'd been committing burglary and stuff like that yeah okay okay and but i i guess what i'm saying as well is he's he's not doing anything for himself for his like name on the streets either being a grass is he no he's not no gosh i sound like i'm very pro him don't i sorry Carry it's on. Okay, but let's find out more about Kirsty. Yeah, so as you can imagine, mate, even though he said he'd never met Kirsty and he'd got less information second hand, you can't just dismiss something like that. You're right. I think sometimes if you've got a lazy police officer, it's something so small they might be like, We're not even gonna bother recording this because it's it's too much paperwork, but you can't dismiss a murder when someone tells you about it, can you? No, especially if the body's like undiscovered, still there. Like exactly. So they put Tony back in a cell and checked the address he had mentioned, Free Stanhope Muse, on the police national computer. So when they did a check, they did discover that there was a Kirsty Ellis who was thirty-five who lived at the address. So they contacted their colleagues in Leeds to go and check on the house. When the police officers arrived at the house. It was a small, run-down terrace house. The blinds were drawn, and there was no signs of anyone being home. Because they had reports of a violent crime that had taken place in the house, they had reasonable grounds to force entry. Now, when they, when they did so, they immediately went to turn the lights on, but discovered that there was no active electricity supply to the house, so they had to use torches. Now, it's clear to them that there had quite obviously been a violent struggle in the house, in at very least the living room and kitchen, because there was numerous bloodstains in both rooms and broken glass and broken furniture. Yeah. Blood could be seen that would later turn out to be Kirsty's underneath the rim of a broken table and on one of its detached legs. So the attending officers, they followed the bloodstaining as it continued upstairs towards the bathroom. When they entered the bathroom, that's where they found Kirsty's body. Naked, except for a black blanket that had been draped over her, and it's quite clear that decomposition had already started, and her head was also covered in blood. So when the forensics team arrived to examine the house, which seemed to be one big crime scene at, at that moment, they discovered bloodstains on the bath and on the walls in the bathroom, and in the bath, also around where her head was. Now, they also had found blood-stained clothing and a stained towel on the floor of the bathroom. And there was more blood found on the floor. There was blood found on the windowsill. And there was also blood found on the bathroom sink. Now, around the bath was a blood-stained watermark, which showed that at one point the bath had water in it, and she had bled in the water. There was one HDMI cable cord and one dressing gown cord around her neck indicating that strangulation could be the cause of death. And when they examined her body, they found two socks and a lint roller had been shoved down her throat. Oh, my goodness. This is horrific. Like, everything that you have described, I've been, like, making noises. Like, oh, like that. And oh, it's awful, Andrew. This crime scene is just... How bad would you feel as well on those Leeds police officers that you'd sent? Yeah. Um, to to enter a property like that because um, 
I mean, there's going to be, you, I guess as a police officer, you're going to expect a certain amount of gruesome when you're being told there's a suspected murder taking place at a property. But, like, that level is, oh, that's not, you're not easily going to forget that, are you? No, no. And, yeah, no, poor Kirsty. And it'd been obvious, though, that she had been decomposing for a while. And when they examined the house to try to find clues as to when she was alive, they found a chicken on the counter in the kitchen, in its packaging still, and it had a sell-by date of the 22nd of January, which would hint that she'd been dead for over two months at least. Oh my goodness. And no wonder that the electricity ran out because she obviously hadn't fed the meter. And Yeah, exactly. So Two months. Well, it indicated that she'd been dead for two months. And, and I'm sorry, I know that you'd said that they'd searched police databases and located that she lived there, but had they been made aware of a missing person at the time? No. Wow. So obviously not somebody that had like loving friends and family that must have been concerned for her safety then. In or around the vicinity, at least. She did have loving friends and family, but you don't know what type of relationship. Sometimes you don't always have constant contact, plus there's other details that I'll get onto a bit later on that may may explain this. In that case, I'm sorry for jumping to conclusions for the family because that's not a very nice thing for me to say. That's okay. It's easy. You would would assume that immediately, wouldn't you? But when the post-mortem was undertaken and Kirsty's body, it would be concluded that the cause of death was a combination of ligature compressions of the neck, so strangulation with the HMI cable and the dressing gown cord, and also obstruction of the airway with the socks and lint roller. Oh the pathologist also found two blunt force injuries to the right-hand side of her head, indicating that she'd been hit twice, or had her head hit against something flat and heavy. And she also had a large bruise to the right-hand side of her body. So now the police had a problem, Rachel. Who could Kirsty? When? And why? Well, now, I guess they had a, a good idea. I'm, I'm guessing your man was able to give them the name of his drug dealer as a starting point. Well, you wouldn't assume that, would you? I mean, you wouldn't, like... Yeah, think, but you would like, close down that line of inquiry, wouldn't you? Exactly, yeah. So, they, yeah, they... Like you say, they, they had an obvious lead, Tony Brooks. And now it was it could be one of two things, couldn't it? Couldn't it, Rachel? He either killed her or he could give the name of the drug dealer he mentioned who probably did kill her himself. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely, yeah. And there is an element of me feeling like he's thrown his drug dealer under a bus and could potentially have some um, culpability in this crime, but we'll see. We shall see indeed. Now, they didn't charge Tony there and then because, quite frankly, Rachel, they had no proof he did anything and he might not have. So he said they released him on bail. When the house had been fully examined, they found Tony's fingerprints along with his DNA everywhere in the house. Mm. So that showed them that he did know her and he'd been lying. Tony. Yeah, and he'd been lying, but it didn't show, though, Rachel, that he killed her. No, absolutely. Yeah, it just showed that he'd been in the house. Now, they still didn't know why Kirsty had been killed or when, so they started to interview and speak to Kirsty's family and friends to determine when everyone had last seen her, who she was with, 
who she'd been with to build up a timeline, you know, and she'd do to narrow down when she had died. Yeah. It was when they spoke to one of Kirsty's friends that they had a breakthrough. The friend was called Bethany Wood, and she confirmed to police that she had dropped Tony off at Kirsty's house on the 1st of February at around 10am and went back about an hour later to pick him up. She also confirmed that Tony was in fact in a relationship with Kirsty, so he knew her very well. Once he had Bethany's story, they were able to back it up with CCTV and other evidence. And so when she said that she had picked him back up again, they knew this was true. And she said that he had brought a flat screen television out of Casey's house. Wow. And, and when she asked him what he was doing, he replied that he was skint and he needed the money. So he was ransacking her house, basically. At, at which point we understand she's dead because the check-in that was left on the counter would have been out of date by, what, a week or so? Yes. Wow. So, but, well, no, actually, no, Rachel. Um, she also told, because remember, she had only been there an hour. Yeah. So she also told police that he had blood all over his hands and his trainers and he had scratch marks on his neck. Oh, so when she asked him what had happened, he said that he had beaten a man up who owed him money and the scratches came from the man's long nails. So to back his story up, he showed Bethany a photo on his phone of the wall inside of Casey's house covered in blood. So she then took him and a television to a nearby cash converters where he got £220 for the TV. Then she said it was at this point that he tried to clean himself up and change his trainers. And when he had done that, she drove him back to Casey's house, where he went inside and removed a suitcase that contained a sound bar for the television that he had just sold. And they took that to a different cash converters and they sold it. Wow. So by this time, Tony was back in police custody. Because obviously they had enough to arrest him on now. So the police had his phone to examine. When they, this is your favourite piece of evidence that always isn't it, Rachel, the phone? The phone, yeah, because I think people, I mean, Tony does not sound like he is forensically aware, given that his fingerprints and DNA was all over Kirstie's house. But this is often where criminals really fall down because they think they can out wit the police, don't they, with like switching off their phone or claiming they left their phone in at home or something when actually it like tells a, a thousand stories, doesn't it? It does indeed, yeah. And they found that when they examined Kirsty's house, that her fridge and her washing machine were also missing. Oh, my God, the man has no limits. And they also found that on the 16th of February, he had messaged a friend of his offering to sell him a fridge and a washing machine. Of course he had. They also discovered that at around the same time, he had logged into Casey's Facebook account on his phone and he'd sent messages to her friends and family telling them that she was fine. And also, so that's why he'd been messaging her friends and family as so, her. Yeah, I was about to say, had yeah. he pretended to be her? Yes. But, but also, he'd messaged some of her friends. So, yeah, remember, this is still him talking on her account as her. And he'd message them, asking them if they wanted to meet with her boyfriend, so Tony, and have sex with him. Oh, my God. Now, understandably, no one took advantage of that offer. 
Imagine getting that message from your friend. Hey, how's it going, Rachel? How's it going, Rachel? You don't fancy having sex with my boyfriend, do you? Oh, my God. It's just wild, isn't it? And this man clearly knows no boundaries. Like, he's... I mean, I'm making an assumption here that he has killed Kirsty, but then to start pretending to be her and hit on his friend, hit on her friends, is just a different level of like him. Yeah, as Kirsty as well. Like, in what sort of unless you're like into the swinging scene or something, like how does that even comprehend? Like, wouldn't it be odd if someone said, "Yeah, hey, you know, do you fancy having a go on my husband or wife or girlfriend or boyfriend?" Anyway, yeah, it's just odd. But on the 21st of March, he returned to the house once more. So this is weeks after she was killed and just four days before his arrest. And so he returned to the house to get her bank card. Wow. And the police did actually find a card and her PIN number at his home where he was staying. And he used a card on that day and also on the 24th of March, the day before he was arrested. So in total, he made cash withdrawals or uh, transfers from her account to his account, totaling just over £1,500 between the 2nd of February, so the day after she was likely killed, and the 24th of March, the day before he was arrested. And I'm guessing that obviously he'd rinsed that, obviously had ransacked the house and pawned off what he could. That's why he was committing burglary on the 25th. Yes, the feeders have it. Wow. When he was arrested a second time, his story changed completely, Rachel. Instead of saying someone called Jake or Jack killed her, he admitted that while he didn't kill her himself, he did help a woman kill her after the two women had argued. He said that he did take the HMI cable from the bedroom and apply it to Kirsty's throat, but he didn't kill her. He did also admit to taking a CCTV hard drive and a television from the house to sell and also burning the clothes that he had on that day. But again, he said that he didn't actually kill Kirsty. Of course. Yeah. Sounds plausible. Of course. Do you agree? Of course, yeah. No, the police continued to speak to Kirsty's friends and family. And when they spoke to another one of Kirsty's friends, that friend told the police that Kirsty had told her in a month prior to her death, that Tony was using her house as his own, that he was being violent towards her, and he had taken control of all her finances. He'd done that so much that she actually had to borrow £890 from that friend because she was still struggling financially. Oh my goodness, that's this is just awful, isn't it? And like, obviously she doesn't have the confidence to tell him to do one and... You know, yeah. move on with her life, stopping the lecture off her. Exactly, yeah, it's, it's, it's really sad. The police discovered, which made them even more certain that she died on the 1st of February. So maybe that chicken had been, maybe it just been in the fridge and out of date, or maybe it had been in the freezer, and they'd taken it out when he sold the fridge freezer. You don't know, but um, yeah, it yeah, I get I get it now because obviously the timeline of his friend dropping him off is more firmed up the like the timeline of her death, hasn't it? Exactly. Yeah. And please yeah, what made them even more certain she died on the first of February was that was the last time she had used her phone on that day. The last message she had sent on that day was to her dad, telling him that she was having money problems. 
and the last call she made was to her bank on that morning of the 1st of February. The police were able to determine that when her phone had left her house on that day, it took the same journey and movements that Tony's phone had made before it either ran out of battery or was turned off. Okay. So I think you'd say, Rachel, and I know you already have, he seems pretty guilty, doesn't he? Absolutely. I think you've painted a perfect picture of his guilt here. The only question, you know I'm like those sometimes, Rachel, I guess the only question would be, did he do it himself or did he help someone else do it? Yeah, I mean, I feel like there was there was a large amount of overkill on her, like two cords and the things that were stuffed down her neck. So I feel like another pair of hands would make sense, but I definitely imagine he was the driving force and he's and if somebody else has helped him it's probably been on the promise of taking half of whatever he makes off of the stuff he sells or you know he'll he'll fix the guy or girl up with some drugs like post you know um murder yeah possibly so tony would quite obviously be charged with murder on the 3rd of october and he would be taken to trial now, initially, Tony pleaded not guilty to murder, but guilty to manslaughter, sticking, wow. to his, sticking to his story that he had helped someone kill her. Now, the prosecution, they were confident that he killed himself, and they thought that he had initially attacked her with the leg of the broken table before killing her by strangling her and then pushing the items down her throat to make sure she was dead. So with that in mind... His manslaughter request was rejected by the prosecution, who carried on with the charge of murder and took him to court. On the 3rd of November, prior to the court case starting, he would change his plea to guilty to murder, thus removing the need for a trial. So in answer to your question, he did it all by himself. Okay, okay. I feel I feel like the one saving grace here is that he has saved her family the trial. Because like um, and his lawyers probably absolutely said to him, the evidence mounting against you is stacked. So be sensible in your approach here. He'd probably crumble on the stand as well. He doesn't seem like he's particularly reliable with his responses. Or smart. And his lawyer actually, he appealed this, and um, I'll go into that in a moment. But his lawyer did sound his barrister sounded really smart because. I'll go into why in a moment, but yeah, his barrister was really smart. So yeah, it, it, it removed the need for a trial. Upon sentencing Tony, the judge would go on to state that Tony was both controlling and manipulating Kirsty, both emotionally and financially throughout the relationship, in addition to physically abusing her. The judge said that while the attack may have been initially spontaneous in the living room, hitting her with the table leg, he probably didn't kill her then. The judge said that Kirsty most likely went upstairs to have a bath after she had been attacked by a table leg, and this is where he attacked her the second time, strangling her to death. She went on to describe Tony as sadistic, and while his first attack may not have been planned, which would indicate manslaughter, the second one that killed her most certainly was premeditated, and she had to take that into consideration when sentencing him. 
he intended to kill her in the judge's eyes. And the judge said that the fact he then repeatedly went back to the house to take things to sell, the fact that he pretended to be Casey on Facebook, showed to him that the remorse Tony was now showing in front of the judge was fake. The judge said that he could not be sure the murder wasn't for gain, and he didn't know if it did involve a sadistic or sexual element, so because he didn't know, he couldn't discount those possibilities. And he also said to judge, because of this, the initial starting point of life with 15 years was too low. He had an extra 12 years on for those aggravating matters, but then his barrister, who was quite good, managed to convince the judge to remove a little bit because he pled guilty early, although he wasn't really that early. I know. So, yeah. The, yeah, so this meant that Tony Brooks would be sentenced to life with a minimum term of 24 years and nine oh. months, meaning that he would be in his mid-70s before he could be considered for the release. However, Tony wasn't pleased with this, and neither was his barrister. He couldn't appeal that he was innocent because he pled guilty. But he did appeal, like I mentioned earlier. And his appeal was based around that while the judge should have added a little bit more onto the 15-year starting point, an extra 12 years was too harsh and out of proportion. So I'm not going to go too much into detail about the appeal because it just gets told in the, the limelight here. And I don't think we need to give any more time on Tony. But it would be found just a few weeks ago, Rachel, on the 12th of May last month that he had no grounds for that appeal and in fact the appeal judge said that he thought Tony actually should have received a minimum of 30 years under the guidelines so he his appeal was rejected I mean I was gonna say I know the lawyer's just doing his job like filing the papers and putting the appeal in but for Tony to say that an extra 12 years seems a little harsh like that's really rich coming from you. Like I said, there, were, there was a definite element of overkill and he obviously had an anger problem and had like, they'd had that interaction downstairs where he'd battered her. She went upstairs for a bath. Was there really any need to follow her and then, you know, end her life the way that he did? Um, and, and that's where manslaughter does turn to murder because there's that intent there and that anger and and then to cover it up for like you know the the six weeks or whatever that he was back and forth to the house collecting items without notifying anybody or clearing his conscience um i you know i think that 24 years is sounds about right exactly and so i want to just finish up by looking at kirsty shall we yeah absolutely so kirsty was just a normal she was 35 at the time of her death and she was a normal woman trying to get on in life. She wasn't a criminal. She wasn't. Um, she didn't have any drug problems or alcohol problems. Her dream and her ambition was to try and to become a counsellor to help people. Wow. That's all she wanted to be. And it seems to yeah. And so I'm guessing here that she's met him probably on a night out at some stage identified he's got a drug problem but probably thought I can help him I can help him like as as most people do and um I don't know probably been coerced into caring for him and he's manipulated her I don't know yeah sometimes Rachel 
people that you can become lonely, can't you? And sometimes your your standards also lower a little bit just for attention and, yeah, lo- let's and not, love. Let's I, not deny that a man or woman on drugs, you know, can tell lies and sell and promise the earth and oh, the world. No. Oh, no, definitely, definitely not. Because... Down a path. Oh, definitely. You know what I was about. What I was about to finish up with is how many times do you hear about people who are emotionally and physically, physically controlling, where the victim, when they've managed to escape the clutches, also say at the beginning they were amazing. At the beginning, they did this yeah. and they did that. So yeah, it, yeah, overwhelmed with compliments and thoughtfulness and. He probably saw her as a bit of a payday, so he put the time and the effort in to, you know, allow her to let, let down a barrier and, and let him in. Yeah, he, he had so much to live in. I mean, to me, actually, let's finish on Kirsty, and then I'll, I'll come on to what I think, why yeah. he did it. So Kirsty, Kirsty's family released a statement about her, and it said she was a beacon of light to all those who were fortunate enough to have known her, and who wanted to raise awareness of domestic abuse after suffering through it herself. So, yeah, it's part of the reason, basically, she wanted to be a counsellor because she had, had suffered abuse in the past. And they said, they also said, we remember Casey as a vibrant soul. She loved having a drink, she loved to dance and sing the night away. Casey's light will now forever shine bright in our family, among our friends, and in all those who knew Casey's happiness, she will always be remembered for her sense of fun and joy, which has guided us through these troubling, troubling times. So I think that's that. That's a good little sum up. She seems just like a happy person. She'd she'd had issues in the past by being in an abusive relationship. She'd come out of it. She wanted to be a counselor to help people because mm. of her past, and it kind of touches on a little bit. What you said, maybe she did see in Tony, maybe she did see in him, hey, look, maybe I can help him. But who knows? We'll never know. So I think I think that the argument, he probably killed her because we have evidence of her friend having to lend her £890 and her telling her friend that she was struggling financially. Although he did manage to take £1,500 off her, though that could have been for an overdraft or anything like that. And yeah, she might have been paid after her death. Yeah. And then she told her dad that she was struggling and she phoned a bank up, so maybe it could have been a loan. So maybe, yeah, he got angry because he had no more money he could take off her. And maybe that's how it escalated. Obviously, he was physically abusing her anyway, and emotionally, but maybe, yeah, maybe that was just... Or maybe she stood up to him. And maybe she said, no, enough is enough. With tragic consequences it could have been any one of those but what do you think Rach? yeah i feel that um i feel that kirstie's trust has absolutely been abused in this instance it my interpretation i'm making some assumptions here is that she's been in a manipulative and coercively controlled relationship with someone who has taken her for every penny she's got and he's realized she's cottoned on to that um you know he's she's potentially said to him enough's enough I can't help you anymore and and he's gone right I have no use for you anymore and he's probably manipulated the woman who was ferrying him around um 
you know, I'm, I'm not sure that you would be so enthusiastic about um, helping somebody out when they come in your car with blood and not going to the police without, you know, manipulating them as well. So he probably had, um, he probably like had her on the go as well, maybe. I'm making an, an assumption there, but this Tony guy, bad man, absolutely deserves to be behind bars for a long time to um, to suffer. And the poor family, knowing what happened to their daughter, um, and it was completely out, out of their control, is just heartbreaking. Exactly, yeah, exactly. You've actually, you've actually touched on my sum up there, but yes, exactly, Sorry. Rachel. No, 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 I apologise, Al. It's good that we're on the same wavelength. Um, I agree completely. It's sad. The only, the only bit of joy we could take from this is that at the time of recording this, it's the 2nd of June, and we're in a beautiful heat wave at the moment, and less than three weeks ago, or three weeks ago, Tony was told that he'll most likely die in prison. A little bit of happiness that he'll probably never get released. Is that too harsh, Rachel? No. no. Okay, good. Um, so let me wrap, wrap this up then. This has been Season 3, Episode 7, called Kirsty Forever Shining Bright. If it's safe for you to do so, I'd like all of you to relax, close your eyes and picture the scene. If someone you knew was leaving your alleged friend's house covered in blood and carrying their TV with obvious marks on them from someone trying to defend themselves, would you really just accept what you were told and shrug it off? Thank you everyone for listening. Hope you're enjoying the sun when you when you listen to it. Hopefully it's still sunny. And any last thoughts from you, Rachel? Um just that it is not okay to be in an abusive relationship and for somebody to shower you with love after they hurt you or take take something from you or you know it's not okay and reach out to your friends your family talk to someone or professional services you know and just yeah speak out you will be heard and there's always help out there isn't there absolutely Okay, and with that, I hope everyone gets to stay happy and we'll see you next week. Yeah, take care, guys. See you next week. Mm-hmm.